when we think of leaders, like admired leaders, it's the emotional, it's those soft skills that are admired, not their engineering technical expertise. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm J.R. Flatter, and I'm your host of Building a Coaching Culture. And as always, I'm here with my co-host, millennial computer scientist, Lucas. Hello. And our distinguished guest today is Jill Marshall Anito. She's a coach extraordinaire and a really good distinguished guest for us. I'll just remind uh, ourselves and our listeners who our audience is. Leaders of complex organizations who are trying to create a coaching culture to compete and win in the 21st century, especially the labor market. We're in a hyper-competitive labor market. That's not going away anytime soon. So how do you compete and win? And uh, that's why we're here. So, Jill, I'll pass the floor to you. We really want you to brag about yourself for a while. So tell us about yourself. Tell us about the business that you have or anything else that comes to mind. Sure, JR. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here as a guest today on your podcast. And uh, really, I mean, going back, I'm thinking back to when I first connected with you and, you know, you and Flatter are all about building coaching cultures. And that really, really aligns with with what I do as a, as a person, as a, you know, my own business and who I am. So I'm an executive leadership coach and I work in, with individuals one-on-one as well as with groups and teams. So as an executive coach, I'm also a training facilitator. So I work with, I do leadership training as well as teaching other coaches, coaching skills, teaching coaches who are in ICF accredited training programs, such as the one at Flatter. And I also teach managers coaching skills. Mm. So very much a part of building a coaching culture in that way. I also work one-on-one with and with groups of coaches themselves. So as a mentor coach, helping small groups of coaches or individual coaches who are going through coach certification training to really grasp and integrate the concepts that they are learning And then as a coach supervisor, I am completing my certification in coaching supervision. So that's a whole nother aspect of development for coaches. And I work with coaches at all levels, you know, really helping them to be the best that they can be. And also supervision is a very holistic and I guess strategic approach. So really helping organizations and leaders and making sure that they're getting the most out of coaching and making sure coaches are aligned in organizations in addition to helping coaches build their practice and deal with mm. challenging situations or or opportunities. So they're all different uh, factors that kind of play into this coaching culture. It sounds like there's a lot going on in your world. I just want to pick up on a couple words, if I could. Training, leaders, managers, groups, individuals. I'll start first with the difference between training and education for you when you're working with these complex organizations. 
So I would say training, you know, training is, is often on very specific skills, you know, and for a brief period of time, whereas education, more longer term, you know, it's, it's more of a program of study. And I think both are really, really critical of, as you know, with training, because I was a corporate trainer for years and I finally, you know, after doing that and seeing the results of training can lose its effectiveness if you don't really integrate what you learn or if organizations don't integrate, you know, say the leadership that they are teaching. So that's really where organization development and coaching come in because you can make it real and you need to make it real. And it's much, much broader than just attending a training class. So if I bring you into my organization to help me build a coaching culture, are you training me? Are you educating me, coaching me? What are we doing together? So it's all of those and much, much more. Uh, I would say there's maybe a consulting uh, approach or at first, like, where are they now? What mm. is what is coaching culture mean to them? What do they want to create? There might be an educational component on, well, this is the way we view a coaching culture where, you know, let's say leaders and people at all levels are really empowered to help find solutions and be a part of that and, and you know, continuous growth and so forth. So Aligning on that can be a first step of, you know, then there might be training for managers on coaching skills. Developing an, an internal coaching capability can be a component of, you know, such as flatters developing internal capabilities within the armed forces, mm -hmm. you know, for, for their own coaches. And then it could be coaching, you know, using a coaching leadership style and what that means. And there's another training component to that. Of course, this all takes it takes time to build and momentum and so forth from that you know leadership approach style of you know managers that have coaching skills and integrating people with coaching skills into your organization what makes that distinct from just developing leaders in general what are the benefits there so i think the coaching a coaching style or coaching skills is uh you know, going to really help the leader's team, the direct reports, like, again, find those solutions for themselves to think of, uh, think on their feet to develop themselves, maybe in a more hierarchical organization, or if a leader does not have those skills, it can be more, you know, I'll tell you what to do. Here's how it is done. Or even if you think of mentoring, which is a great thing, you know, a mentor shows, shares their own experience, shows what they've learned, uh, helps, can be a great help with technical skills. And coaching comes in with more of the soft skills or, you know, critical thinking and, and uh, what is motivating to you? How are you going to, how might you approach this problem? What are some potential solutions? So it really opens the door to, you know, kind of like much broader, more creative thinking. So what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes people make when they bring someone like you into the team? As I'm thinking from a consulting perspective and, you know, consultants in one regard are supposed to have answers. And that's very true that they can provide suggestions and ultimately you want to agree, agree on something to, to implement on a solution. Assuming that, you know, if I go into your organization, I make some assumptions you know, I know how this organization is run or I know what you need and try to fit you into whatever model I'm bringing. Uh, it's kind of like fitting a square peg into a round hole. Mm -hmm. But if I, if I use a coaching approach within that and, you know, what does success look like and really pull on those strings, like 
What are people thinking? What are they feeling? So there's an emotional component as well. Uh, how are they, you know, what are people motivated to do? And then you can work once you get that ideal, you know, situation, you can work backwards from there, see where they're at now. And, you know, hopefully use some coaching around that to make sure it's an accurate assessment and then align those two. So, so now we have more of a direction. I would say coaching also along the way, you know, because things can change or uh, you want to have some milestones and coaching around that can be very helpful as well. You talk about encouraging critical thinking and problem solving and creativity. Do managers have challenges or what advice would you give to managers trying to integrate those kind of ideas from, you know, if it's lower levels or just employees that are in different departments, perhaps? You know, so so many of the managers I work with are so busy. So that is a challenge. And, you know, I'd want the hands to take that step, take a step back and uh, really engage with their with their teams on what does success look like? What do you understand the problem to be? What do you think gets in the way? You know, make sure that you're aligned with uh, with the direction that you're going and, and that you've got this, you know, broader context for it. Why is this important? What is so important about it? You know, how else could we get there? So that you're also encouraging like that out of the box thinking versus do it my way or this is how we've always done it and uh, just do it that same old way and, and uh, you know, you're not likely to get any new results. I remind everybody that I get a chance to talk to, we're in the 23rd year of the 21st century. So we're leading across multiple generations in a time of rapid and enduring change. Can I be a coach in any of those generations? I think it's critical to have, you know, yeah, have coaches at, at any level, but I would say absolutely yes. Uh, yeah, anybody can develop coaching skills. And do you coach across generations? I do. It's interesting because I tend, as an executive coach, I tend to coach more senior level leaders. And I enjoy that. I enjoy their kind of that strategic approach to maybe seeing the organization and the environment and where is the organization going. And, you know, sometimes coaches talk about like niching or specializing in one type of leader or, you know, I feel like it's really, really important and also enjoyable. So when I coach new new leaders, for instance, new managers, because anyone can be a leader in an organization, you know, sometimes it's it's a different perspective. And it, that really, really grows me as a coach and, and really helps with the more senior folks to know that that perspective of the more junior levels, you know, and another challenge is like the at the mid level uh, where leaders or managers are pulled, you know, from different directions. So I, I, I really enjoy all of it. And I think it's it's critical. I feel like in terms of generations, like newer folks in the workplace, you know, you mentioned this, the workplace, you know, of now and the future, and they're almost demanding more coaching. Mm. I feel like they're, they are not, and, and Lucas, you could probably add to this, but they're not going to be happy with do it my way. Here's, here's how it is done. Go carry out your orders and without their own, without empowering them to, you know, kind of be a part of this. So you, you raised a really amazing point and I'd love to hear your dig down in on this a little bit. You coach senior leaders. There are senior leaders that I say, you know, you'd benefit from a coach. And they look at me like, I'm already at the top of my career. 
what possible benefit can I achieve from coaching with Jill? So dig down on that for us for a little bit, please. Yeah, so I'm going to say that there are some coaching, and there's a time and place for coaching, and that the leader needs to be open to coaching, and some are not, absolutely. So on one hand, maybe educating those leaders about the benefits that coaching provides, you know, as an analogy that's often used is that top athletes are, are always in coaching or training, mm. you know, musicians, and when you're at the top of your field, you really want that outside perspective. I don't know if that leader in your example wants to grow or learn or, or maybe he or she is, you know, I'm just going to stay where I am and, and, and that's that. So I feel like the interest must be there. But as coaches and for the coaching industry, we can certainly share the benefits. And I've heard success stories, too, of leaders who have said coaching, this stuff is, is BS, it doesn't mm -hmm. work, and only to have a, a huge turnaround when... You know, when working with a coach, that's the right fit and opening up new perspectives and ideas that they didn't know, you know were possible. Yeah, we had a cohort two weeks ago and a senior leader came in as a favor to one of the other members of the cohort. And you could see the look on this person's face about, yeah, this is going to be interesting, but I'm not going to learn anything. And within an hour, two hours of this 30-hour boot camp, we're blowing his mind. And he walked away a completely different leader. So I want to ask you, JR, what was it that, is there anything that you can pinpoint in that session that changed this leader's mind? Yeah, and this is an enduring challenge in our profession. And that is, how do you convince someone of the coaching magic until they've seen it or felt it for themselves? And he felt it for himself. He was being coached in a practice session in group and had real discovery that he never expected. And there it was. He was like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> and for the rest of the time, thankfully it happened early. He had 24 hours left of instruction. So he was one of the better, more engaged members of the cohort overall. An incredible story. I was thinking from the organizational level, um, is there some degree of, you know, a huge advantage like, right after a consulting session and then a challenge with sustaining that kind of culture? Or do you do any sort of periodic check-in with these organizations? So a periodic check-in is that that is a best price, you know, that would be the best practice. Absolutely. It, you know, having an ongoing relationship, checking in, how are things going at this point? Uh, what else could be improved? What else? Yeah. What else is possible? So Absolutely. I think check-ins are, are critical. Yes. Yeah, so one of my favorite books on this subject, I don't know if you've had a chance to read Peter Hawkins, Creating a Coaching Culture. He has a great seven-step model to how one goes about creating that coaching culture. And the first two are two that you already talked about, external coaches and internal coaches. Can you talk about the role and why would I need both a hybrid approach? I feel like for senior leaders, it's really critical especially to have an external perspective. You know, for instance, you know, the coaching that I do for Flatter, for the leaders, they really appreciate the, uh, you know, perspectives from different organizations, from the private sector, for instance, from entrepreneurs and startups. You know, what are what's going on in that space that I can use? What are you seeing across the federal government? What types of trends? And also there's the confidentiality aspect. So, 
if you are at the top of your organization, you want to maintain that confidentiality. And that's a little bit tricky with an internal coach who is a member of that organization. However, internal coaches are a great, great resource as organizations build coaching cultures. If you have a large organization, you know, we can take the Air Force, for example, and you have a certain number of internal coaches. It's likely that you can match those coaches with leaders, you know, different parts of the organization where they don't know one another and don't have, you know, they're they're very much outside of their chains of command and are going to be able to add a different perspective of it is still the same organization. And that might be okay at their level, you know, so there's a need depending on each leader's need and what they want to get from coaching, you know, maybe an external coach is is better in that case. However, as we build, you know, in terms of economies of scale and and availability of coaching, I think the, you know, it's really, really great to have a bench of internal coaches that you can use throughout the organization and make coaching available, like ideally every level. I think back to like on my career and I just wonder, had I had access to coaching, you know, at various points, things could be so different or I would be like at a completely different place or who knows, but you know, I would have been able to broaden my thinking and I'm thankful that I, I got coaching at the, you know, when I did. Great. Thank you. From like a practical organizational level, are there some employees that are, you know, higher impact to have those coaching skills versus others? So ideally there are, and there's, there are, you know, some coaches focus exclusively or predominantly on like high potential employees. And I think that's very, very, that's valuable. You know, I don't want to leave out the others as an advocate of coaching. And I don't know if coaching is right for them or not. However, if everyone has access, you know, there is a time and place for for everything. You don't know until you offer it. And, and, you know, maybe those others, uh, your average employee becomes high potential because they're made aware of possibilities that they didn't know about at the time. Yeah, so it could be phenomenal to offer coaching, you know, across the board. And, and then some, you know, maybe maybe not, you know, it's not their thing, but I think uh, organizations could really, really benefit. I'm reminded that there are really two coaching roles. And one is the more formal coaching relationships that we've been focused on most of our time here. External formal coaching, internal formal coaching. But really, when we begin to get that coaching culture, It's due to the leaders adopting a coaching style of leadership, which is informal. And so the internal coaches can also help evangelize leading through coaching. Can you talk to us a little bit about how might one do that? If I'm a leader and my leadership is telling me we're developing a coaching culture, I want you to lead with a coaching style of leadership. How am I different? So that's a great question. Uh, there is Daniel Goleman, who is, you know, he's very known for emotional intelligence. He has, I'm going to reference this because I use this all the time in working with leaders and on training leadership. He has uh, something called the six styles of leadership that are based on emotional intelligence and a coaching style is one of those styles. We all have uh, default styles. And the best leaders, ideally, I can flex among all of them, depending on the situation, depending on the circumstances. So to help a leader build a coaching style, 
you know, first, uh, you know, there is a maybe a training component on what a coaching style is. But basically, as we have discussed, you know, you are developing your staff through coaching, through asking these powerful open-ended questions. You know, what is important about this? What are the potential obstacles and so forth? And helping them to do that thinking and developing along the way. So building in those skills for the leader. And also uh, there is a, you know, the, the timing component. I mean, they, most of them can figure this out, but it's like, at what point uh, can you fit that in? And I often hear it's, well, it takes time, you know, so really making the time for those types of conversations, getting to know what motivates your team, for instance, getting to know them on a personal and professional basis. And, you know, something about their families, their lives, like really what is important to them is really, really critical for that to succeed. And again, it is one style. So in terms of, you know, if there's a crisis going on, I'm not going to say, hey, Lucas, let's sit down and uh, tell me which door you think we should leave from when the building is on fire. It's, of course, it's a very simplistic example, but building then into to all styles and where, wherever you can use that, uh, you know, having that available to you, I would say is it, it can be huge for developing teams within organizations and developing the organizations themselves. So we talk about sometimes other guests will bring up like that familiar aspect that you did where it's like, what is important to this individual? And, you know, let's talk about their life outside of work and all of that. Is that kind of a side effect and like a happy benefit of the coaching culture? Or is that something that you have to deliberately create? I think it depends and on where what the organizational culture is currently, because maybe it is very task oriented. Hopefully in this day and age, and as we move forward with leadership leading the future organizations, you know, that is key. And then some people I'm going to say are, are less, you know, want to share less about their personal lives or some leaders are less comfortable asking that. And I think that there is a balance, but regardless of a, at least knowing something about your about your team, where you know about your employees, where they where they are coming from on a personal level is is really really critical because it's a whole person. You know, we're all whole people, and we show up at work. And I always say to my clients too that in life is like fair game for coaching because if you're going through a divorce, or even if you have a fight with your spouse, you know, and and you come to work and have to lead a big meeting. That home life is, you know, it's it's going to affect the way you show up. Yeah, getting that balance, I guess, is a, a common topic with with leaders who I coach. You know, some are not less comfortable with it than than others. When I engage with you, how does it mature? How does it end? How do we know we're done? Also, great questions. At day one, I like to do what's called a discovery session. So it's, you know, I really, really want to know all about you, JR. I, and there will be a personal component to this. At least I will, you know, I often provide a list of, of questions in advance for the leader to think through, to consider, to reflect upon. They can complete that if they want or not. You know, and some of them are organizational, you know, what are your goals for the coaching? Engagement? Where do you want to be if we're scheduled to wrap up in nine months or a year? You know, what would you want to be different at that point? You know, so you may or may not know the answers to this, but it's a starting point for me to really get to know you, what motivates you, you know, something about whatever you're willing to share about your personal life, your work life, including uh, what are you afraid of? What keeps you up at night? What are your strengths and successes? What do you want to build on? 
So that would be like day one and possibly part of, you know, even leading into the second session, we might be building on those things. What are your values? You know, what is most important to you? So ideally, we identify some goals or, or outcomes for our coaching engagement over time to work on. And some leaders are like very much like whatever shows up, you know, whatever you can coach to whatever shows up in the moment, I find that it can be helpful to have an idea, like what would you like to be different? And that can change over time. So then we we progress and you come to the sessions, you as the leader always, uh, it's your session. So you can change the topic. You don't have to follow this long range, you know, this long range plan. If something else pops up, usually there are themes throughout. And as the coach, I follow those high level themes and what I notice about you to help you build awareness as a coach is, is somewhat like a mirror, you know, in terms of I can help a leader see things that might be too close to them for them to see. There is a, a natural wrap up point often, and that may or may not be at the end of the nine or 10 months or whatever we've agreed upon. It's kind of like we're not following up on them. Maybe those big issues and, and the leader is in a really, really good place. And that might be a wrap up, you know, and so I would have a conversation with the leader about that, sharing my observations and asking for, for his or hers, where are you now? Are there additional items to explore? You know, sometimes it ends too soon if you only have a limited number of sessions. So then you might want recommend starting in a, an engagement down the road. I've had leaders who have coached, you know, five years ago over a number of a period of time. And then they come back to me and they're like, hey, Jill, some things popped up that I want to explore via coaching. So it can be this great ongoing relationship. And again, that getting back to that time and place, you know, if you're in a really good place and, and working on executing these goals and, and maybe you don't, uh, you know, need a coach as much. So having said that too, I'm an advocate for always having a coach, you know, and that can be helpful. Uh, I have other leaders who I check in with, you know, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, we have a brief check-in. They like to update me on, on what's going on and their progress. And, and that could be it. Uh, a coach can be a very good sounding board for senior leaders who don't get to, you know, discuss things um, with other people at their level or peers or, or colleagues. So I know just from my own experience that, you know, if you try to implement a change in an organization, some people can have a, an emotional reaction like, they want to reject the change or they just feel like almost like a bruised ego effect. Can you talk about those challenges and how you've experienced, like how you've worked through them? The organization, it wants to make a change and maybe not everyone is aligned or some people, it sounds like you said bruised ego. And I'm thinking that maybe people, there's some emotions there, maybe some you know, even fear of, of the change, because as humans, we can naturally fear change. Mm -hmm. Or am I tracking? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Your question. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's another common topic I think is, is, you know, organizational change and, and how do you coach your team or how do you approach that? And, uh, I do at times with that because there are, you know, some known best practices with that, such as, you know, communicating often, even when there's no, nothing to communicate, that's a message. If you don't communicate, you know, status of a change. So how you approach communication? I think a, a leader needs to meet individually, you know, connecting one-on-one -on -one with, with the team. Like, how are you, where, how, how do you feel about this change? 
What are your thoughts? What are you afraid might happen? You know, maybe not in those words, but there's often a fear like loss of my job or loss of my role or something. So the best you can address that, um, you know, or help the leader reassure, or at least, you know, provide the, um, you know, what the current status is, if it's not good news, like that can really help reassure their team. So definitely a lot more one-on-one, one-on-one coaching, as well as, you know, communicating as often as possible uh, on the status of the change. Yeah. I don't know if our listeners or viewers saw you put your coaching hat on a minute ago, but that was a very coach-like question you asked, Lucas. <laughs> we saw that. So if I think I need coaching and I need a coaching culture and I need you to come help me, what should I be reading before you get here? I think there's an overwhelming amount of literature out there on this topic. And maybe coaching culture means different things to different people. I often hear, for example, coaching and mentoring, that if leaders don't know specifically about that a coach is not going to tell you what to do, they can confuse it with a mentor because both are critical roles and and very complementary. So I I think, JR, I would advise a conversation at first. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm thinking about this. Okay. What what do you think? What what can you perhaps share or, you know, what would be my next, what might I do next to find out more? I was curious, you mentioned Goldman a few minutes ago. I just wondered if there was another go-to book that you recommend to your customers and leaders. So I recommend The Coaching Habit by Michael, uh, Boomgay Stinger. Yeah. Yep. 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 I've got it. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you got yours? I'll grab yeah. mine. Yep. I've got mine in my bookshelf behind me. Yeah, I've got the advice chop. Here it is. Yeah. I know it couldn't be too far away. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yes. The coaching habit. Yeah. Yeah. That is one I recommend almost all the time. It's, you know, it, that is like step one at building that coaching leadership style, you know, his questions. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a great, great resource. Oh, I use it all the time. I cite him every time, though. <laughs> I've seen him in your in the you know in your training materials yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So, if I'm a healthy person and I'm feeling really good, and somebody said, "Oh, when's the last time you went to the doctor?" I might be like, "Oh, I don't need to." You know, I I feel great. Are there organizations that kind of have that mindset? And how would you pitch a coaching culture to an organization that feels like they have it all together? Yes. And that's a hard one. I'm wondering now with this organization, what what's on the horizon for them? What challenges they might not even see that are out there? You know, moving forward, coaching can definitely help with that. So I feel like in, in today's environment, there is no, I'm good. I don't need anything else. Similar to the leader that JR mentioned, the senior leader, I'm good. I don't need anything else. Well, then you can stay put where you are, but the world is going to pass you by. That's where I would challenge them. You know, what do you, what do you, what do you not know mm. that's out there? So we get a lot of feedback as a byproduct of who some of our customers are. And I get feedback on you. So I know you're killing it out there as a coach. Tell us one of your success stories. You keep it confidential, obviously, but tell us one of the ones that you brag about. And that'll show some, our listeners, some of the magic. 
So I think that's a really, really hard question. And you got me starting to think about it, which speaking of coaching, then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm focusing on myself and not on the conversation. (laughs) Um, You know, one that comes to mind since I do work with the Army, with the Air Force, uh, so with the Armed Forces in general, as well as with the Foreign Service community. And this also applies in the corporate sector. So I'm thinking of a type of leader and maybe a military leader is the is is a good one because this can be more extreme. So some folks who are not big on emotional intelligence, they are not big. They don't want to share their emotions because they have succeeded by not sharing them. You know, they're in front of a unit giving orders or or leading, a, you know, some really really big initiatives in a hierarchical organization, or they have a yeah, just to just do the, the type of their role. And a lot of them are like engineers or they're, you know, kind of more technically skilled. So getting them to embrace emotional intelligence and the different aspects of being emotionally aware. How do you, you know, awareness of their own emotions, awareness of the emo- emotions on their team, you know, or other people's emotions. So building like empathy and being compassionate, but also being a strong leader as this, you know, former special forces guy or whatever, like you're used to showing up in a certain way. And how, how do you connect on that emotional level? And by doing so, that's going to make you so, you know, a much, much stronger leader. And it's going to, you know, you're really going to engage people when you can bridge that. So I think when they start to become aware and uh, it's really, really cool, like some of them will start reading Brene Brown, which is another resource. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or I just love it. I have a a client who's in Iraq right now deployed and he's helping, you know, working to engage his folks. All right. Yes. <laughs> awesome. He's sharing with, you know, his reading list and, uh, you know, talking about these things with his spouse and, you know, really it's hard, but how do you embrace it? And they're really, really dedicated to kind of understanding the importance of it and, and, and to, you know, kind of bridging that gap. Because as we all know, when we think of leaders, like admired leaders, it's it's the emotional, it's those soft skills that are admired, not their engineering technical expertise. So to be a really, really great leader, you know, and I see general officers at this level or CEOs at this level who do this well. So the other day, one of my buddies, he was giving me a hard time. He's like, everything is related to running with you. And he was like joking about it. Like, I think that's kind of my thing. Like everything's a running analogy. So from your own perspective, Jill, and your hobbies or anything outside of your professional life, is there anything like that that you relate to leadership and coaching in a way? So interesting that you mentioned running because for years I was a distance runner and, uh, yeah, I love it. Uh, definitely the sports metaphors help. Uh, yeah, I would say currently, even today, you know, I don't run as much, but I, I do a lot of hiking and I love adventure travel. So I love to be in really remote places. I took a trip to Patagonia where it was like so, so remote, but it was also really, really physically challenging in terms of the hikes that we did each day and like we didn't see anyone outside of our groups so kind of like you know i i believe like coaching is similar or like yeah, overcoming these obstacles and persevering and that's similar to life you know 
that it, it's never a straight line. There are ups and downs. And, you know, and how do you persevere? How do you build your resilience? How do you continue moving forward? How do you step back and see the larger picture, you know, of keeping your eye on that goal? something yeah 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 i mean me and my dad and jr we both are big runners and i think it had just taught me a lot about you know incremental progress towards your goals like you were talking about and just being able to feel that reward yes incremental like absolutely you know, sometimes it feels like you're not making any progress at the pace i run now <laughs> running teaches me patience <laughs> Because <laughs> when I go for a long run now, it isn't mileage, it's in hours. <laughs> so my last question, because Lucas always gets the last one. So you could take your coaching hat off if you would. So personally, professionally, what advice would you have given yourself five years ago, knowing what you know now? Speaking of patience, uh, building on your, your comments there, I think to, to be patient. So five years ago, I was in the early stages of, you know, I went out, I, I left a high profile job at Booz Allen to launch my coaching business. And this was actually after attending my first coaching session. It was uh, session one. It was like a weekend thing. And I knew, I guess I always knew I wanted to be out on my own and uh, ended up leaving to pursue <laughs> pursue this rather abruptly. And in hindsight, it probably would have maybe stayed on part time, but it worked out. So I think to have patience and also to focus, uh, you know, what you focus on grows would have been another area of advice. So when I first left, I, I was, you know, I, it's, I am employed and I, I don't have the luxury of, you know, I, another retirement or something to support me. So this is my income and, you know, to grow my coaching practice. I guess I, I was like, I, I get sidetracked by bright, shiny objects. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, let's do some of this and that. And some of them were like, you know, all within the broader talent development fields, but, you know, developing training on safety for the Navy is, is a great thing, but it's like, it wasn't related to my coaching. So the pandemic came around. I really, really focused on coaching and, and one-on-one -on -one and building that practice. And, and, you know, now I'm doing uh, everything coaching culture related. And I feel like I brought like hit my stride here. So yeah, my last question is just going to be a follow-up on, on that. We've talked a lot about you know, why coaching is good in general, but personally, what satisfaction do you get out of it? And what like made you want to leave your former position for it? So what satisfaction, I guess, uh, probably similar to all coaches, you know, helping others develop is, is huge. It's really, really huge for me and, and doing it in, in, as a coach, Versus as a trainer, it's just so much more effective when, you know, a leader is coming up with these things by themselves and, and seeing that progress and seeing the progress in organizations uh, is what drives me, you know, to want to do this like full time. And you got a second question and I forgot. Uh, no, pretty that. much just that. Like what what drives you and what motivates you? Absolutely. My whole career has been, you know, developing leaders and teams, however, like different aspects of it. And I, I just feel like the coaching culture aspect is, is, is where it's at versus, you know, training or, or like, yeah, it's just uh, a really, really good, good place. And uh, I can get so into this that I, I need to balance my own personal life, you know, and, and time to my family and, and to make time for vacation and all of that. Cause I can, I, I just love it so much. 
Well, great. I think it was that's a great uh, few minutes together. So thank you for that. Yes, thank you again, uh, Jr. and Lucas. No, this has been awesome uh, to come on the show and talk about coaching. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.